A few months later, I was working upstairs and someone said, there's a guy named Earl downstairs. <laughs> and I thought, I only know one Earl. <laughs> and of course, he probably introduced himself. I told, you right. tell her Earl's here. So I came down and he was standing there holding this fruitcake. I didn't know he did it. We ate the fruitcake. Tyler and I thought, well, this would be really fun ice cream, but we didn't say anything to him. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Kim Malik, founder and owner of Salt and Straw. She started the small batch handmade local ice cream company with her cousin Tyler. Salt and Straw is based out of Portland, and there are now 15 shops along the West Coast. It was kind of funny because I was working um, in the really, really early days at Starbucks Coffee. So there were only 30 stores when I started. It was a tiny company. And um, at one point, I took a position in Portland. And I didn't really know Portland very well at the time. And so um, it was in the sort of mid-90s. And, uh, man, I was just really struck by the sense of community here and I always say it felt like people kind of took me in and lifted me up and I'm literally still very close friends to people I met walking down the street and for some reason I really don't know what it was but I was struck by the idea that an ice cream shop could be a good way to reflect that because you could run into your neighbors and just kind of kind of naturally enhance that experience of that community um, that I think Portland is so unique here. And so I started working on a business plan. I even looked for real estate. And then I thought, uh, that seems like a really scary, bad idea. My dad (laughs) went bankrupt owning his own small business when I was um, actually in high school. And so to me, it just seemed like a really scary, bad idea. And I had this great safe job. And so I went back to that and just always kind of had that filed in the back of my head. So you had that entrepreneurship, though, in your family history. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then I would imagine, I mean, who's in a bad mood when they go get ice cream? Well, exactly. So everyone's (laughs) kind of in a good mood either before they get there or after they've had it. Yeah, we always say, I mean, ice cream is pretty magical. If you're having a bad day or something went wrong, it makes it better. And if you're really happy and celebrating, it makes it better. Like, it's always (laughs) better. So uh, it's good. From that perspective, yeah, it's just, it's really a fun business to be in. So you started at Starbucks, like you said, 30 stores. And then you eventually left when they got to about Mm 3,000. What is it that, oh, they wanted to send you to New York. Well, New York was part of a, my job at Red. Yeah. That was my oh, most exactly. recent um, kind of gig before I started the company. So I was at Starbucks and, you know, honestly, I kind of caught the dot-com bug and I thought, oh, man, this seems to be a thing like in the late 90s mm-hmm. that I don't want to miss out on. It's really interesting being in Silicon Valley. And so I moved down there with Yahoo and um, took part in that and... Um, it was sure inter- it was really interesting. It was a great experience. Yeah. Um, How long were you down there for? Uh, I only lasted a couple of years. I remember going to retirement parties of people in their 30s. You know, it was during that time right. the of the whole dot com thing, and it was really fun and interesting. And we were definitely you know blazing new trails and doing things that no one had done before. But um, it was also a really hard life 
to be, you know, kind of part of the rat race. And again, still had that calling to come back to Portland. And I really loved it here. So I ended up coming back to Portland. Um, It was a lifestyle choice that I I really missed it. And you're from Montana. I am. I'm from Wisconsin. Ah, And so people from Wisconsin. We're good people. (laughs) I remember because I moved to California for two months. uh, Ah. My sister was living in Napa. So I moved there for two months, and I remember, I mean, it was really beautiful, and it was really a great experience, but I remember feeling like a fish out of water there. Yeah. Same sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I I, I loved being there, um, and I loved the experience, and gosh, it's so beautiful. But I just, I felt, I always feel a connection to come back to Portland. I've left to go to Seattle or to California, and I always find this calling to be back here. So I, I... Gave it all up and yeah. moved back um, just before the bubble burst. So right. good timing. <laughs> Maybe it was good timing. Good timing, that's for sure. <laughs> so then you went to Red, and that's yeah. where I got my uh, yeah. New York as- aspect. But you went to Red. You worked with Bono. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not a bad gig. <laughs> uh, and you did that for a number of years? I did. And um, during that period, we were actually based in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we were commuting to New York. Our little division was based in Seattle. And so finally, the folks, the headquarters were in New York, and we were working on a music service with Apple. So we were kind of made sense to be on the West Coast, but they ultimately wanted us all to be in New York. So I was working on moving there, and I came back to Portland for a birthday party, and I met a guy in a bar which doesn't usually end well, <laughs> but we're still together and we have three children. And instead of moving to New York, I moved to Portland yeah. for love. And um, so that kind of was the first step toward, you know, ultimately starting the company and right. reestablishing myself here, which feels pretty solid now. Yeah, so I'm I think excited. you're on solid ground. <laughs> I think you're doing okay. The question that came into my mind is, I mean, Howard Schultz is an icon mm-hmm. uh, in many ways in the business, very successful. And then you have Bono. <laughs> there must have been some incredibly fantastic experiences and learning opportunities mm-hmm. from those two as far as business goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was fortunate, you know, just being at Starbucks in the early days, I did have, you know, a little bit more exposure to Howard than mm-hmm. probably, you know, you would get nowadays, which was really cool. Right. And um I can remember even, you know, I started when I was in college as a barista and I can remember sitting in store meetings and he would come and talk to us and just the passion he had, not only for the business, but for the people and Mm -hmm. for, you know, making sure that, you know, me as an hourly barista was armed with all the knowledge about the business and his passion and, you know, watching him go on to be, you know, the first company in the United States to offer health insurance to part-time people. And I mean, this was... I don't know, before that was even a thought. And it was kind of spurred by his personal story with his father. And time and time again, seeing, you know, you could put people first Mm -hmm. um, as you're growing your business. And that made a huge impression on me. Um, I remember when I wrote my business plan for Salt and Straw, I thought I would get money from a bank, first of all. It was in 2011 during the recession. (laughs) So that was a funny story. And then I sent it out to a few investors and this one guy sent it back with red ink marked all over it. And he, the business plan was really centered around people first in all these different ways. And he wrote across the top, you can't do this. Who do you think you are, Starbucks? (laughs) (laughs) And I later told Howard Schultz that story and he was laughing. He said, I wish you'd sent your business plan to me. Oh, that was sweet. So... 
how defeating was that when you get those comments back the first time? I mean, I wish I had kept that paper now, yes. but at the time I couldn't throw it away fast enough. Right. I mean, I think I may have even burned it in the <laughs> fireplace <laughs> because I think, you know, when you're starting, I, I don't know, I think it's maybe a little bit of a female thing too. I keep reading these um, studies that say, you know, men will oftentimes wake up in the morning and say, like, I just had the best idea and I'm going to be the best at it. And they go off to tell the world and and women will kind of harbor <laughs> these ideas and think about them, whether it's running for politics or starting a business or whatever it is until they really feel like it's perfected. Right. And so I definitely, as you can tell, from 1996 to 2011, was sitting on that and doing that. And I think even getting the words out and starting to tell people was so hard. And as an entrepreneur, all you hear, I mean, 98% of what I heard back was, no, this isn't going to work. You can't do this. So it was really hard. It's really hard to hear. And it's a little bit of that imposter syndrome for women in many mm-hmm. ways. We never feel like we quite measure up, even when we do. Yeah, and definitely. Then some. Yeah, going on to be now this next phase of my life of being, you know, a business owner and a working woman and a mom, I think that's even amplified. So I'm. it's been a really interesting path. I bet it has. I bet it has. So then it was 2011, before the brick and mortar. Yes. You got a <laughs> cart going on Northeast Alberta you and uh, Wall Street Journal says, hey, we want to write a review, but you've got to be national. Yeah. So in three weeks, <laughs> I can only imagine what's going on. In three weeks, you're like, okay, we'll ship it. How did that come oh together? Oh, my gosh. It weeks? was so funny. So first of all, Tyler, my cousin started the company yes. with me. He and I were, I think, he's much younger than me. And I always say he doesn't know what's not possible, which has been our secret <laughs> weapon to most of what we've done. Um, I'm just blindly confident as like the entrepreneur and he's too young to know better. And so things would come up like we're standing at our cart. I can remember he's delivering ice cream on the top of his Subaru, no joke, in a cooler. And I'm on the phone, you know, scooping and talking to the Wall Street Journal. And she's asking me, you know, my editor wants it to be national in order to run this review. And I was like, well, I don't know how we can be national. I can touch both sides of my little cart. You know, Tyler's (laughs) unloading the ice cream. And she said, well, could you like do shipping or something? And I said, oh, sure, which I should have known better since I just did a, you know, long stint at Yahoo. (laughs) (laughs) That launching an online business is hard. But we were, I remember I was sitting on the sidewalk uh, on these stairs Googling it. And this woman walked by (laughs) and she said, what are you doing? And she worked for a company who helped kind of people get online stores up and running and you know she knew we were not going to be a client because we were too makeshift (laughs) but she pointed me in the right direction to ironically get a yahoo store up and running and so we did it and we we had three weeks and we started shipping ice cream that's amazing i recently reconnected with that reporter all these years later and she said she had heard the backstory over the years and she was laughing (laughs) you know how we scrambled to make that happen but we did it i think all the first shipments we sent out melted because we did it wrong (laughs) so we reshipped them and it was just uh funny Right. Time. Funny now. Funny, <laughs> Funny now. now. Not, not so yeah, at the time, then. no, we thought, you know, this could sink us at any moment. You know, like a, hundreds of dollars of product was just mailed out and we had to reship it all. And, oh. But yeah, so it was a little terrifying, but worth it. But we're, but now <laughs> here you are seven <laughs> years later. So stepping back, when you had this idea, and I, re- I remember reading that Tyler was just finishing up culinary school, 
was it when he was, you guys met up at a family event and you started talking about yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, he um, he posted a note on Facebook saying he was going to go to culinary school. So he um, was studying business and living in China. And he came back due to a death in the family and just started cooking to kind of help people ease their pain. And during that time, he realized, like, this is my passion. I want to I wanna be a chef. Which he was on this pretty amazing path to be a successful business person. So, of course, everyone in our family was like, cooking school, not seem like a reliable path forward here. But um, he heard through the, oh, no. So I saw, I called him and said, oh, you're going to go to cooking school. We have a great one in Portland, culinary school. You can live with me while you're going to school if you want. And he's like, okay, well, what are you up to? And I tell him, well, I'm starting this business. He went to the Goodwill and got an ice cream maker and started making ice cream and sending us recipes. And and he would not rest until finally, you know, because I kept saying, Tyler, we need someone who knows how to make ice cream. And he finally said, I will come and just run errands for you. I just want to come and help. And so he moved in and, you know, pretty quickly I could tell he's a brilliant natural talent. He was going to culinary school while we were getting the company started and you know we've been working together ever since so you know fast forward from his goodwill ice cream maker he just won forbes 30 under 30 for changing the way america eats and he's an incredible talent he's super humble it's it's just a really fun relationship you know i'm kind of more the on the business side and he um works on creating all the recipes so it's a it's a good relationship and it's been really fun does he love that he loves it. It's in, it's just like he's in his element and he's so creative and thoughtful and you know, he's really known for these great collaborations he does. Every city we open in, we have a different menu, so mm-hmm. we partner with local artisans or farmers or um, chefs. Um, nonprofits, arts groups, and we come up with a local menu that's unique to each city. And so he's really out there on the forefront getting to know people in the communities and and doing that work, which is really, really different and um, unique. So it's been fun for him. Well, there was that one last June, and I featured it in a green tip with leaners. And I thought that was so excellent. I had to write down um, the flavors. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were toasted. Well, and, and if, if for folks who don't know, Gleaners is a nonprofit, and their mission is to reduce food waste, and they distribute it to f- folks who are uh, experiencing food in, insecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the flavors were just, I was looking at this going, who thinks of the these list. things? So, so, well, Tyler Mallory. <laughs> yeah, toasted <laughs> baguette PB&J, uh-huh. celery roots, and strawberry celery leaf jam. Uh, ancient heritage lemon curd and whey, spent grains and bacon s'mores, and bourbon distilled cherry ambrosia. Yes. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a neat collaboration. I bet he loves that. Well, it was so great because, you know, we're um, here in the United States, we're sort of, we have a bounty of food. But we were wasting 40% of our food. So we're, we're letting all this food go to waste. And then 
we're living amongst um, neighbors and people in schools who are going hungry on right. a daily basis. And so we have enough food, but we're just not getting it where it needs to be. And that's what's so great about Urban Gleaners. Mm-hmm. And so we partnered with an organization like them in every city that we're in to try to tell that story, you know, and kind of shine a light on it and, and let people know there can be beautiful things done with this food. Right. We don't just need to throw it away. It's not and garbage. So we could turn it into ice cream, you know, and, and, you know, we can all do our small part, but the idea was that as a community, we get behind these organizations who can really, we think, make a change on that front. And, yeah. you know, Tyler and I are really passionate about childhood hunger. Um, we don't think we should have that in the really wealthy, wonderful cities that we're in. Um, my uh, husband, Mike, grew up in a situation where he had food insecurity on a regular basis. And it's really it shares those stories. It's really hard to hear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a five-year-old kind of scavenging for food. Um, and I just think we're better than that as a society. So as a ice cream shop, you know, it's kind of cool to be able to, to participate in, in um, programs like this and, and help our, you know, hundreds and hundreds of customers who come in learn about stuff like that, too. It's a creative way to share a serious message, both mm-hmm. food waste, which is huge, and food insecurity. So mm-hmm. I thought it was so neat oh, uh, when I saw that last year. You now, so you started off with the cart, and then Wall Street Journal does this. <laughs> you get, you know, national press. And then all of a sudden, Miss Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> and she's got the Midas touch, yeah. features it on her favorite thing. Yes. And so, hello, world. Right? That was mind-blowing. Yeah. It was funny because we hadn't been open for very long, and we got this call to send our ice cream. And was actually going to um, an address in New York City. And um, so we got it all packed up. And, of course, we all triple-checked everything. The whole company is literally, it was just our Alberta shop at the time, waiting for the UPS driver to come, and we send it off. And then we got a call the next day saying, we're about to head into the meeting, and your ice cream isn't here. And so I said, well, what address again? And I read it back, and she said, no, no, that's not right. And I said, well... It's, it's what you told I knew I knew it was what she told me. <laughs> but there was one, like a, one number off or something. So, of course, I didn't say that. I said, oh, gosh. So we hung up the phone and got a UPS on the phone. And they helped us. We explained the situation. It was sitting in a building not too far from their office. And so they we ended up working with an intern who picked it up and got it. And it made the meeting. Oh. So I would love UPS. So they tasted it, and, you know, we heard back a little while later that it was selected, and it was pretty mind-blowing. I bet. Yeah, it was exciting. I bet. <laughs> so you knew beforehand that she had requested it, yeah. or that it was coming to them. Yeah, and they, um, you know, they like to do that just so you can be prepared. Mm-hmm. That, um, in case your yeah, world Yeah, in case changed. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. That would be are, are ordering ice cream. So, I mean, just being brand new, we were looking at each other going, we can't believe this, and... Um, you know, it was a, the Arbequina olive oil was what she liked. And it was interesting because we kind of started to notice how people responded to um, the story of collaboration and mm-hmm. featuring these great partners that we work with through ice cream. So um, that's kind of what we started to notice at yeah. that point. Now you've got stores in Seattle, in Portland, of course, and in California. Yes. Where else? Am I missing some? No, that's it. Okay. And we do sell. We have um, Danny Meyer, who mm-hmm. owns Shake Shack and yes. a bunch of other great restaurants, um, is an investor. And so we serve ice cream at some of his places in New York. But that's more just, yeah. it's not our own shop. Okay. So then 
jumping, I'm not sure how many years forward, speaking of uh, Danny Myers, <laughs> Casey Milligan is your first store yes. manager, and mm-hmm. she brought with her a fine dining experience. And the idea that ice cream can be fine dining, that it's not a typical ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. And so that sensibility, was that something you were looking for? Was it just something you had interviewed her and it just sort of came out and you were intrigued? I mean, was there forethought in that or was it, wow, this is a great idea sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we really connected. Funny enough, when we first started making ice cream, we were at the Food Innovation Center here in Portland, which is a collaboration between Portland State University and the Department of Ag. Mm -hmm. And so we were making ice cream there, and she had just gotten back from this um, master's program that she did in Italy, which... Why wouldn't you do that? It's brilliant. Hello. And I, um, do it now. <laughs> I know. I'm like, how come I didn't know about that? So she was happened to be there working for a different company making um, products as well. And so we kind of got to know each other. She saw us running in one day saying, we're shipping ice cream now with the Wall Street Journal. She just thought it was so funny every day seeing us up to our new, you know, antics. And we got to know each other over time. And and we connected. I remember we had um, dinner at Bollywood Theater next to our, our Alberta shop. And I was running the Alberta shop, which is a sad thing because I'm not an operations person. <laughs> and um, and we started talking about this idea of community that I had had and this idea that had sort of grown from that um, to work with the community and reflect the community and the products that we made, which was, was really becoming a strong guiding philosophy for us and we connected over that and just had so much excitement and ideas about how that could come to life Mm -hmm. um, when customers came into the shops and for our employees and so you know she I think the last chef she worked for is now a head chef at the Four Seasons or something so I mean when I say fine dining like she was very serious fine dining and Mm -hmm. here she finds herself running an ice cream shop And at first, you know, especially since I was running it, um, she noticed there was a lot of turnover and um, she thought to herself, is this just going to be the way it is or could we do something different? And so we got to talking about the idea that, gosh, we have this great hospitality industry here in Portland. Could we be sort of that welcome mat to offer you that training if you want to have a career in hospitality? And could that be a way for us to attract um, you know, people who maybe would have a different experience working here and stay longer and all those things. And so she and I were reading this book, Setting the Table, mm-hmm. and talking about creating a training program. And then we found out they offer Danny Meyer, who wrote Setting the Table, offers a training program in New York. And so we thought, we're going to fly out there and learn everything and come back. And it was early in the company's um, life. And so we kind of had to scrape our pennies together and fly out there. And we did. And it was so moving just to learn about how they were thinking about recreating the hospitality industry as, you know, a, a great career that you can have, you know, well-paying jobs and a long-term career. And so we brought that back and sort of reinterpreted it into our own um, training that we've created for our team and um, we now have Salt and Straw University, which happens once a quarter. And, and so, yeah, I mean, she's really central to that idea of bringing enlightened hospitality to our company. And she's incredible. So Casey, Tyler, and I were sort of the three musketeers in the early days. Well, and I have to imagine that was a gift in many ways in which you've been blessed with a lot of these kind of gifts mm-hmm. business-wise. And, and it started 
when the business was just starting. Oh. So it was easy just to start incorporating these ideas That's into right. the company from mm-hmm. the get-go instead of five years later trying to dig down into it. Yeah, you couldn't be more right. It's funny because I was meeting with, um, Casey has run all of our shops up until about um, just a few months ago. We brought on a new kind of person who now all the shops are going to report into who's kind of like done this before and has more experience. And so Casey's moving more into this role of training and development and culture, which is feels we feel so lucky we get to have that. And I was talking to another pretty big company that's based in California about this idea. And he said, oh, my gosh, we are trying to to do something similar in our company. But like you're saying, you know, they're trying to do it after they're pretty big and well-established. And they're also trying to go find that person and hire that person, which is so hard. You know, we, we were able to grow this naturally and organically with the growth of our company and then kind of blossom her into this, this role, this freestanding role. So we feel really lucky. Yeah. Because it, it, you're not getting the resistance. Uh, You don't have to worry as much about buy-in from employees. Mm -hmm. It just becomes organically who you are as a company. And, and that's how you attract the people that continue you on that path. Exactly. I mean, it definitely has become much bigger than Tyler and I ever thought from that perspective. I mean, gosh, I can remember opening in Los Angeles and going down to work there and people kept saying, well, you know, you have this great team in Portland, but you're not going to be able to find those kind of people in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, we thought, oh, gosh, that's kind of scary. So we're down in L.A. interviewing people and putting together a team. And I can remember going down there to scoop uh, a little while after we opened and this culture had really translated. I mean, we brought scoopers from LA to Portland to work in our Portland stores for a couple of weeks. It was kind of like the real world. Mm-hmm. Do you exactly. remember that show on MTV? <laughs> they all shared a house and they were, you know, um, working at Salt and Straw and then we sent them back and then we moved many people from Portland there too to help infuse the culture. But I was, I can remember scooping ice cream and just thinking, I mean, these guys are taking this to a new level, you know, and it was so impressive. And um, so both Tyler and I are really grateful um, for that. Mm-hmm. How many times do you sit back and go, holy cow? I mean, <laughs> honestly, and go, what's just happened the last seven years? Yeah, not very often. I mean, I have <laughs> a terrible have tendency to walk around um, very um, worried and focusing on what's wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of my nature, unfortunately. I can remember Tyler and I walking out of a meeting where something really good happened in L.A., and this woman offered to start carrying our ice cream. It actually was sort of the start to us being in L.A. It was this woman, Joan, who owns Jones on 3rd. And we walked out and we were walking down the street and we just had this great conversation. She agreed to start selling our ice cream there. And um, we worked it all out. And we were walking down the street talking about something we needed to do or something that was wrong. And we looked at each other and I said, we should actually celebrate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that really amazing yeah. thing just happened because we're both not very good at it. Yeah. So um, absolutely. It's Be- important. It is important. And I, I can imagine uh, as a business owner and a mother of three and a wife, I mean, there's always something going on to say the least. <laughs> and so, yes, you have to focus on things that aren't going wrong because you want to f- fix it. Yes. There are things that are, you know, aren't going mm-hmm. right. But at the same time, yeah, go celebrate every once in a while. I think so. And I, I, it's ironic that I have this point of view because I do believe what you focus on is what you create. Yeah. So um, it's something I'm curious about. Working on. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Kim Malik in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Kim Malik, founder and owner of Salt and Straw. She started the small batch handmade local ice cream company with her cousin Tyler. Salt and Straw is based out of Portland and there are now 15 shops along the West Coast. Well, one thing that also stood out for me as I was doing research, I mean, yes, I know Salt and Straw, I know my favorite flavors and I know where I can get them, but I hadn't honestly known much about the company, Mm. you know, very, very little. Mm -hmm. couple of things stuck out in my mind. And one is that social justice really is a huge part of who the company is and mm-hmm. what the company does. And that's really impressive. You know, it mm-hmm. made me think of Pensy, Pensy Spices. Oh, yeah. Uh, in which they have uh, very much taken this on as, you know, we make good product. We, uh, we believe in our product. We are good people. And at the same time, we have an opinion and we feel it's okay for us to express that and mm-hmm. and there's something regardless of what that perspective is there's something um, that's really wonderful about that mm-hmm. and so salt and straw has done the same thing mm-hmm. which is really neat to see oh, thank you and so that that's one thing that stuck out in my mind but also you mentioned the benefits you know the part-time employees receiving mm-hmm. health care which mm-hmm. I remember as a part-time employee Actually, I worked for a company that did the same, and mm-hmm. it was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the other benefits that you give to your employees, that along with, you know, the business sensibility and the the way you have moved forward with the you know fine dining and the experience part of it, a, a combination of things that I'm, I'm going to guess have attracted mm-hmm. many people through your door as far as employees, and they're staying longer yeah. than maybe oh. in the beginning. It's incredible. I mean, I it's interesting you should say that because I started to notice that many of our employees, especially in our ma- managers, um, because you know I get to get to know those people really well, and then the people on our leadership team had been on a path to go into politics or nonprofit, oh. and they ended up working here For instead. <laughs> yeah, and I after I heard that a few times, I started to look into it a little bit more and. You know, I I think that what we've found and what I believe is that businesses have to be at the table and be part of the conversations that are going on. Mm -hmm. So um, and it has to be done in a way I think, you know, there's philanthropy, which is great. But what I'm really interested in is ways that businesses can do it that's sustainable and good for the business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because we're able to spread that a little bit more. Like we're just starting early day conversations um, with the Oregon Justice Project about how we could maybe develop a training program for the women's prison so that when they're getting ready to get released, they could have skills to go out and get interviews. And, you know, here we are in Portland. We've got, like I said, this great hospitality industry. I feel like we're uniquely positioned to be a good landing place mm-hmm. for people coming out of prison where you can, you know, show up show that you can work well with other people, go on to have a great career here or, you know, take that and go somewhere else. And I mean, I think that's a really good example of a way, you know, we all know that unemployment is at an all time 
low. It's really hard to hire people. So isn't it great for businesses to be able to tap into different folks that they can hire? Um, and then it's, of course, hopefully great for you know these different populations of people that you're working for. So I think that's a really good example of a way that businesses can be at the table, you know, f- looking at a problem that we have, which is mass incarceration, mm-hmm. and um, and giving a voice to that, and also helping, you know, to to solve that problem. I mean, we're not going to, so we all have to be at the table to solve right. it, but helping, you know, businesses have to be there at the table as yeah. part of that conversation with the politicians, with the nonprofits. We have to work together on these things. So, um, so I'm a big believer in that, and and I do think it's you know it's what people you know. I was just hiring. We hired a new head of manufacturing, and um, she it was a key determining factor for her coming to the company and the work that we're doing yeah. around community based hiring and training and some of the new programs that we have in place. So you're exactly right. It's, yeah, it's I'm not an surprised. Thing internally for us. And, yeah, and we're in really early you know, days of, of what that's going to be for right. the company. But um, but we're starting to take steps forward and learn. And um, and I'm it's yeah, it's my favorite part for sure. Of yeah. Owning the company. The other thing that I saw um, as far as employees training, it includes how to interrupt oppression and abusive behavior. And mm-hmm. that is certainly relevant these days with all of the <laughs> calls into the police. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for African-Americans who are mm-hmm. just going about their day-to-day life. What was going through your head? I mean, how did that idea present itself to you? Yeah, well, so my three children are African-American, and so is my husband. And so I'm the only white person in our family, and that's given me a little bit of a unique view into um, the issues that my family faces mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And these things are real. You know, I mean, I'm in conversations at the schools dealing with stuff that that I would have never known about you know um so that's been a big wake-up call for me Mm -hmm. um personally to have that experience so I think um you know I was invited to sit on the board of the Abel Gorley Center for Health um at OHSU and they offer mental health services um for minorities in Portland so it's appropriate you know, a- ethnically appropriate mental health, which is really important. Uh, so through that, I've gotten to know several people in the community leaders um, in the African-American community. That training sort of spurred out of those relationships. So it was really organic. Yeah. Um, and they came to a few different folks have come to our company um, on a regular basis to offer those trainings. And I mean, we have a long way to go. I mean, we're just, right. you know, I mean, that Starbucks event that you're referring to, uh, our whole, it shook our whole company because, I mean, and, and let's not kid ourselves. Anyone could find themselves in that situation, mm-hmm. um, any business owner, any business right. um, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we're definitely following their lead with enhanced training. And so we have that all lined up. And um, I, I will say that you know, the more we start to hear about these things, I think the more, especially us and the white community, start to realize, like, oh, that's really happening. You know, that police more really often. did get called. Yeah. And, like, okay, that's that's a, uh, oh, you know, it's a big, a big, um, we have a lot of learning to do yeah. um, to understand what it's like to walk in those shoes. So, Absolutely. Um, 
so yeah, and I, I think our gosh, our company, everyone's really excited to get the training and learn about it. And and they, you know, we are we are in the public service arena. So our team, you know, we have eighteen year old women <laughs> um, serving, um, you know, just the the public. So things happen, and I want my team to be in a position where they can handle situations yeah. responsibly and come to work and feel good about the environment and take take good care of themselves and, and each they're other feeling supported mm-hmm. well that kind of um brings me to the letter that you wrote to employees mm-hmm. um last year after the president's uh announcement about immigration and refugees uh their stance on it it was shared with everyone what was the reaction mm, i wish i had this note that comes to mind um um, this fellow who works in our LA kitchen. I mean, first of all, um, I wrote that letter because, you know, we were hearing from our team members that, you know, they were afraid to go to work because, you know, their parents or their um, family members could be, you know, deported. Literally, when they were gone, that was happening. And um, they were afraid for them. People were afraid. And mm-hmm. so um, anyway, this one um, fellow in Los Angeles wrote me a letter and he said um, that he thought I should know that I'm employing um, a refugee. And he um, said he was on a flight out of his country to San Francisco and he didn't even know where he was going because he was kind of in and out of consciousness because all of his teeth had been kicked out. And he was on this flight. He landed in San Francisco. He got medical attention and found out where he was. He has gone through this recovery. And he was just saying that, you know, this job that he has, he works in our kitchen there, was one of the first places where he felt really safe and welcome and valued. And um, and again, we're not perfect, but <laughs> um, but that meant the world to me. Like, Absolutely. that makes me think, like, we're, we're at least on the right track. And yeah. we can... Um, we can continue from there. We have a basis from which to work on. And um, so people, I think people felt like, you know, I just gave them a little bit of support that they knew they were part of a group that was going to stand tight and support each other mm-hmm. and do things that we could locally to take action. So whether it's hiring you know, immigrants supporting each other and helping um, with stories and resources and getting people legal support if they needed it. Just things like that, being part of that network, I think was really important. And, you know, there's all these studies as a business owner, you know, whether or not you should speak up on stuff like this. And we had people coming into our stores on several occasions yelling at our staff as a result of my stance, which I, that makes me really... I don't like that. No, no. <laughs> I, I, because they shouldn't have to stand up and stick up from my personal views. Right. And so while I think most people were really proud to be part of an organization that had this stance, I also felt really horrible about that. So it's a fine line you have to walk yeah. um, as a business. Right. But, yeah, I would imagine uh, as that letter that you received indicated that for the most part employees were feeling safe. Like this was a community and not just a job. Yeah. And that goes a long way. I think so. I mean, even as we're working with people who are, you know, transgender or going through sex changes or even, I mean, there's this one person I'm thinking of who came out and and felt like he really needed to move to a different city to just be himself. And he transferred within the company and he's flourishing. And I just, I, I 
I'm really proud of, of, of being in, you know, of kind of that family atmosphere where mm-hmm. people can feel safe and Absolutely. thrive at work. Exactly. Feel good. Feel good about where they are. You, we talked a little bit about the collaboration that you did with Urban Gleaners. You've done other collaborations, Walt Disney Studios with their Pirates of the Chocolate Caribbean. <laughs> yes. And then I, I chuckled to myself uh, when I saw this one because back in the day when I produced the morning show, Congressman Earl Blumenauer would come by <laughs> every holiday season <laughs> oh, with, his, with, with his fruit, fruit cake, cake and pear brandy. Uh-huh. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's so awesome. So you guys worked with him for a fruit cake, ice cream, and it benefited the Community Cycling Center. Yeah, it was a funny story. So he originally came to us. And I mean, this is what a great politician he is. He was working and he does he is working on the farm bill. And um, there was a component of it pertaining to sugar and um, the fact that, you know, the sugar industry um, gets a lot of money from the government and it, it's um, actually not good. And so he wanted to meet with people who use a lot of sugar. <laughs> and I remember he came to our kitchen and talked to us about this matter and what he was proposing and asking us about how it affected us. And it was this great conversation. And then a few months later, I was working upstairs and someone said, there's a guy named Earl downstairs. <laughs> and I thought, I only know one Earl. <laughs> and of course, he probably introduced himself. But I took, Will you right. tell her Earl's here? So I came down and he was standing there holding this fruit cake. I didn't know he did it. We ate the fruit cake. Tyler and I thought, well, this would be really fun ice cream. But we didn't say anything to him. Yeah. A couple months later, his chief of staff called. I remember we were driving in the car when we got the call um, from Willie. And he said, we were just wondering if you would ever want to do an ice cream. And we said, that's our dream. We wanted to do that. And so... We made the ice cream. He came into our kitchen and we collaborated on it. And then that year he invited us to D.C. to serve ice cream in Washington, D.C. So we got to walk through, you know, the Senate and the House and give out pints. And we hosted an ice cream social. And he, he claims, and I mean, we were in his office when he left, so I think it's probably true, that he smuggled some of the ice cream into the Situation Room. And they were having a meeting. It was kind of when the big talks went down around uh, I ran and he said that it was the thing that unlocked. They were passing the pints around oh, as they're talking right. about it and the whole thing. They were able to work it out over ice cream. Oh, so. I love that. <laughs> Diplomacy over ice cream. Ice cream could save a lot of things. I think so too. We just need to harness the power of ice cream. Yes. So the June flavors I was looking over. Rhubarb crumble uh, with toasted anise. Mm-hmm. Uh, wildflower honey with ricotta walnut lace cookies. Mm-hmm. Stephen Smith's white petal and osmanthus. Mm-hmm. Good, you're uh, good. Thank you. Uh, orange blossom sorbet with edible flowers. This looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And heart cold brew cinnamon sorbet. Yes. So Tyler's pretty excited about those, I'm guessing. Yeah, every May we always say, you know, April showers bring May flowers. And so we create this um, menu of May flowers. And um, it's really fun to eat flowers come yes. spring. <laughs> it's, the, the sorbet was beautiful. Oh, thank you. I was like, oh, no, I could eat that. But it's still beautiful. It looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah I know. I, we were making it and I brought my five-year-old um through the kitchen and we were separating all the flowers in our kitchen we have a kitchen in southeast portland where we make all of our ice cream and they were putting it into the ice cream and he was like you can eat that and i grabbed a flower and said do you want to eat one and he popped it in his mouth and so it's fun to i mean we always find 
we never do anything to just be crazy, but ice cream is such an easy way to try things you maybe wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can take a little bite. You don't have to order a whole scoop. And where you can't go into a restaurant usually and say, can I have a little bite of these three dishes before (laughs) I order? And so it's fun from that perspective. People can, I mean, we encourage people to try everything on the menu and then they can still order their sea salt caramel. Right, which I love. That's what they want. Yes, and we love that too. So it's just kind of this fun experience. That was awesome. I saw those. I was like, oh. Yeah. Um, growing pains. I would imagine with the explosion that came right out of the gate, mm-hmm. dealing with staff turnover and growing at a rate, I mean, one store in 2011, at the end of 2011 to about a dozen stores now. Mm-hmm. We just opened our 15th store. Wow. 500 employees. Wow. <laughs> Funny enough, I mean, the early days, your struggles are, they seem really scary because anything could take you down. You know, like we didn't have a lot of money. I cashed in my 401k to start the company. And and so we didn't have any reserves and things always seemed really scary. But you're a small group and you can sort of muscle through things. Mm-hmm. When things got really, I would say, growing pains um, or actually more recently. So I remember when we opened in San Francisco, um, Casey, who we mm-hmm. talked about earlier, um, called me and the shop had opened and oh my goodness, I mean, it was our biggest opening ever, super busy. People loved the ice cream. So on all, you know, from all outward appearances, it was going great. And she called me um, maybe a week or so in and said, you know, things aren't going very well here. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, it just doesn't feel like us behind the scenes and there's details if you go into the store that only we would probably recognize but they're not happening Mm -hmm. and and she was telling me and she said I mean maybe this is just what growth is like but she said if it is I'm not sure I want to do it and you can imagine that caught my attention (laughs) and um, so we talked and talked and talked and we kind of got a good feel for what the issues were but didn't really know what was causing it or what to do about it and So I said, okay, well, let's just, you know, we're going to have to figure this out. A few days later, I was in a meeting with, uh, actually with our investors, and one of them, this man, Alan, said to me, you know, I see your growth plan here. And I said, yeah, it's the same growth plan we've had for years that I've been showing you. And he said, well, I know, but where's the, like, your people plan to support this? And I said, well, you know, we're promoting duh, and we're doing this, and da, 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 and we've always done it very organically. And I explained what, what our plan was. And he said, okay, we well, don't really have a plan then is what I'm hearing you say. And I said, well, I mean, no, I don't even know what that means. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, well, my experience, and he's been doing this for 30 years, is that, you know, you have a new store in a new market and you have a new staff. And he said, the wheels fall off mm-hmm. because they don't have your DNA. And I said, oh, the wheels are falling off. I I'm experiencing that. <laughs> I'm, 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 I hear what you're yeah. saying. And so we had this long conversation about um, like a people development plan and a manager training program and a career ladder program. And 
you know, we have two investors and they both just opened up their portfolio and said, come to these companies that we own and study these programs and then make your own. And within 90 days, we had one. And it's been so cool. Like someone could enter our company as a scooper now and they know what they need to do if they want to be a manager or a district manager or go on to whatever kind of career they want to have within mm-hmm. our company and what kind of training they need and how what, what time it will take and what their pay will be. And so... It's been really a good thing for our team, and wouldn't you know it? I mean, it's instantly been you know the the path forward from you know some of those challenges we were having yeah. in terms of getting the right people with the right training in place. Yeah. Um, so it was a big, it was pretty scary, and it was a big moment for us to figure out what was going to happen. And then in the meantime. Uh, we're opening all of these stores, which is really hard. We're a small company, and um, you know we 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 course corrected and had a had a I think a really strong front on the people with the people side. Our ice cream we had really great quality. We were nailing it, but um, behind the scenes we were missing on you know our labor and our cost of goods and all the things that go into managing a business really responsibly, which we'd always done really well because we were small and we could right. just pay attention to it. And I was personally involved in every decision. And but when you start to get spread really thin with a small team, um, you lose track of that stuff. And mm-hmm. so last year was a really hard year for us mm-hmm. and. You know, we almost ran out of money and our investors, we had some really hard conversations. And I think we were luckily able to look ourselves in the mirror. And as a company, I mean, we came to our whole staff and said, we're not doing well in these areas. And if we continue, the company's not going to continue. Like, we've got to change this around, which was really scary to share with them because we thought, what if they all leave? (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to be part of a sinking ship. And instead, they really rallied and heard that and they were interested in learning about, you know, how we were like the business side of it and how we were going to address it. And because um, it's been two quarters now that we've been working on this stuff and we've like nailed it and turned yeah. it around and everyone's really excited. But um, it was scary. I bet. I bet. So what's next? Of course, that's my next question. <laughs> now that everything's going well, now that it you, opens yeah. a lot more doors exactly. for us. Yeah. I mean, we just... Um, We've just won a space in downtown Disneyland. Yay. California. Happiest place on earth. Okay. Yep. In Anaheim. Um, the One of the, I guess, head people at Disney was a customer of ours, and he really felt at our Venice store in um, on Abbot Kenny, and he really kind of fell in love with our ice cream and our service. And so the story we found out after the fact was that they were looking for a new ice cream company, and he insisted we be part of the group that they were considering. And we heard there were like 25 people in this meeting we were invited to to present that they were all kind of pissed off because they thought they were wasting their time with this little company that no one had heard of, and they couldn't possibly be worthy, you know, of Disneyland. And um and by the end of the meeting, we had an hour and a half to present. They said that we came from like third place to first place. And wow. two weeks later, we got the, the business. So we were really excited. And they've been really nice to work with and incredible partners. Nice. So we're um, hoping that that will go well. Exactly. And then you get to take your family to the I company. Know. <laughs> They're pretty excited about that. That would be the first thing my kids would think of. Oh, we get to go. To, when do we get to go? Yes. When, do, when does that get to happen? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming by the studio oh, um, and being you. part of our podcast series. It's been great talking I'm a to you. Huge fan. Thank Yay. you. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Kim Malik. 
If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.